Well, this morning we are looking at probably one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture. Whether you've grown up in church or have not grown up in church, you probably have heard a story about a bush that was on fire one day, the story of the burning bush. And one of the things that I want to plant as a seed uh, before we really get going is this, encountering God will forever change you and those around you. When you encounter God, it will not leave you as you were. Encountering God will change you, but it will also begin to change, influence, impact those that are around you, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your classes, and schools, and in your places of work. So the question I would ask us just to think, do you think that an encounter with God would actually happen for you? Not an experience of God, but an actual encounter with God that would leave you different. I know what it's like sometimes we can come to church and the heart is, man, I, I hope I can experience God in these moments today. I hope the music's good. I hope the message connects with me and maybe I can connect with a few other people. I hope I have an experience today that will maybe encourage me, but I'm asking not about an experience, but an encounter with God that would change you and begin to change those that are around you. Now, I'm not sure how you would answer this question, but if you would say, well, gosh, experience, yes, but an encounter that would leave me different, I'm not so sure about that. So if you would be kind of in that camp, I would say, well, you're in really good company because... When we meet Moses in this story, I don't think that he thought he would ever have an encounter with God that would not only change him, but change an entire nation. We pick up the story in, at the very end of Exodus chapter 2, and just very quickly look at this one verse in verse 23. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. Now, I was really fascinated with that phrase, just years past. So this might seem like an inconsequential detail, but my question is this. Well, how many years had passed? Namely, how long had Moses just been chilling in the desert, serving as a shepherd to somebody else's sheep? We know from weeks prior that Moses left Egypt as a fugitive because he killed someone when he was 40 years old. But verse 23 says years pass. So are we talking like a year? We're talking maybe two or three years. And the New Testament, when it retells the story of Moses, gives us an answer to actually how many years had passed from when he fled Egypt and had been living in the desert. Acts 7 says this, 40 years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. 40 years later, 40 years, not 40 minutes, not 40 days, not 40 weeks, not 40 months, but 40 years, this man had been living as a shepherd in the desert. 40 years. I'm only 46. That's basically my lifetime. I'm pretty confident that at some point Moses had resolved, you know, this is just my life now. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. I'm 45. I'm 55. I'm 65. Gosh, now I'm 75 years old. Any dreams, ideas, or hopes that he had of potentially being used by God to make a difference in the lives of the people of God 
I think were creeping out of his heart and mind with every year that had passed. So why 40 years? Why such a long time? I don't know for sure, but maybe it just took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses before he could ever be sent back to Egypt as a changed man. Now, again, I don't know for sure, but one of the things that I do know that 40 years teaches me, encourages me, is this truth. The work that God is doing in you will always take longer than you thought, but it will always be worth it. The work that God is trying to do in your life, it will always take longer than you ever thought or would have scripted on your own. Now, I don't know about you, but we often, many of us, if not all of us, want to see the work of our God, work of God take place in our lives so much quicker. Meaning, God, why can't you just get rid of this anxiety that I've been carrying around? I just want to be done with the the anger that I have. I want to be done with all the hurt that I've been carrying from maybe previous broken relationships or things that people said to me, or God, I just want to be done with this sadness and this depression that I've been carrying. God, I just want to be done. I want to be at the end of all these things that I struggle and all these things that I battle. Why is it that we care more about just being done as quickly as possible? I think the answer simply is we just care more about the destination. We just care more about getting to the end. But what 40 years teaches me is this, God cares more about the journey. God cares more about the journey. See, God had Moses on a journey, and his journey took much longer than I think Moses would have scripted. But as we're going to see with Moses, when he encountered God, it forever changed him. And so would it also change those that would soon encounter Moses. I want to be clear, it's not to say that God doesn't care about our destination. Clearly, He does. He sent Jesus to secure our destination in heaven with Him forever. So God cares about our destination, but He cares about who we are becoming on the journey. He cares deeply about us seeing Him and knowing Him and hearing from Him along the way. This is the story now of God encountering Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Read a few verses. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Again, we know that Moses has been in the desert for 40 years, so certainly for 40 years, he would have seen many bushes that had been set on fire. It's a very dry, hot, arid climate. But normally, when he would see a bush that would catch fire, it would in time burn up and burn out, but not this one. This one kept burning without burning up. And I love Moses' response. This is amazing. I have to go see this. This burning bush had piqued his curiosity and he wanted to go check it out. Now, I'm confident that Moses was not expecting when he woke up that day to have an encounter with God that would forever change him and change anyone else around him. 
As you heard just in those few verses, it says that Moses was on the far side of the desert, meaning he was at the end of the desert, as it were. He was as far out there as you could possibly get. So I don't think Moses is expecting God to encounter him in just another ordinary or mundane moment of this day. I learn certainly from this story that God can meet us in the mundane moments of any, any given day, but more than just God meeting us, this is what I learn in this text here. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention to who He is and all He has for us. God is going to do whatever it takes to get our attention. He did that with Moses, and I see that he does that with us. He wants to get our attention to who he is and all that he has for us. Now, I'm not sure how God is trying to get your attention today, but I do want you to be sure of this. God loves you enough to stop you in your tracks. God loves you enough to stop you in your tracks, to do whatever it takes to get your attention so that you don't miss him and you don't miss all that he has for you. I think it's just a question of, will you respond by saying, I'm here, God. What is it that you have for me? God, I see that you're trying to do something in my marriage. God, I see that you're trying to do something with my kids. God, I see that you're trying to do something in my school, in my place of work, in my neighborhood, with the relationships I have. God, you've got my attention. I'm here, God. What is it that you have for me? Well, we learn a little bit more of what God had for Moses as we continue on in the story. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. To be honest, I've read these verses many times, and each time I read them, I'm absolutely blown away. Now, let's just admit that this is odd. A bush that is on fire that is not burning up clearly doesn't happen all the time. So that piqued his curiosity, his interest. But things take a turn when he hears a voice coming from this bush, calling his name twice, Moses, Moses. Burning bush is odd, but this is now just taking a turn for like the twilight zone. If you're not familiar with the twilight zone, consider stranger things. Like that's the territory that we have now entered into. But the oddness of this story is not what blows me away. Here's what does. It is a picture of the amazing grace of God. Like what's so humbling is that God is not seeking us out. He's not seeking Moses out because of some great things that Moses has done. Keep in mind, Moses is a violent, premeditated murderer. He killed someone with his bare hands and then hid that individual to cover up the murder. So it's not like Moses has done these great, wonderful things for God, that God is like, yes, I'm seeking you out. I want, I'm coming to you because of these awesome things you've done. I see such a picture of the amazing grace of God. It's God's grace, not our perceived goodness that draws God to us. 
And why is God seeking us out? Because one of the things that we learn quickly in the story is that God is a relational God. He calls Moses by name. And it's more than just trying to tell Moses, hey, I I know your name. What God is doing for Moses in this moment is saying, Moses, I know who you are. Moses, I have not forgotten about you. And now, Moses, I want you to know who I am. And what God reveals to Moses, first and foremost, yes, is he's a relational God, but we see very quickly he is a holy God. Verse 5, do not come closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. See, what God is letting Moses know is that he is standing in the presence of holiness, that God is other, that he is set apart. There is a tremendous gap between the perfection of God and the imperfection of Moses or the imperfection of humanity. I love that God reveals his holiness to Moses, but he also gives Moses a picture of, Moses, this is also who I am, because it says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God is wanting Moses to know that he's not just some impersonal deity that has no clue or concept as to who he is. He is wanting Moses to know, Moses, I am the God who's been in relationship with your family for generations past. So this is a question that I've been really thinking about these last few weeks, knowing that this story was coming, is that when you realize that you are entering into or you're in the presence of God, what is your response? Like, what do you do? Like, when you know that you are entering into the presence of God, what typically is your response? Because what's been incredibly challenging and convicting to me is how casual and flippant I can be when entering into the presence of God. And here's what I mean by that. I can say just so quickly without even thinking about, yeah, I'm just going to go grab a few minutes of prayer. You know, I'm just going to open my Bible and and make sure I check off that I've read my Bible for the day. I'm just going to go to church today and, you know, I I hope church goes well. I hope I hear some good songs and a good message and good conversations. I can approach being in the presence of God with such a casual and a flippant attitude. But when Moses realized where he was and who he was with, this is what he did. Verse 6, when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Like, when is the last time any one of us just dropped to our knees in reverence, in holy awe and wonder of who God is? When's the last time any one of us said, you know, I'm going to go spend some time in prayer? And we were just so blown away that I'm about to connect with and commune with the God of the universe, that I have an audience and I get to hear from Him and talk to Him. When's the last time you opened up your Bible and there was just this sense of awe and wonder? I'm going to hear from God right now. God's going to speak to me through His, through His Word. Or when's the last time you came to church? You're like, my goodness, I'm going to be in a place where the presence of God is dwelling amongst the people of God. I am so humbled and in awe that God is going to be here today, 
that it's not just about, do I like the music? Do I like the message? Do I get some good coffee? Like, I got to be in the very presence of God. What's so convicting to me is how casual and how flippant I can be when entering into the presence of God. But yet when I see Moses, he hid his face in fear. Having a casual or flippant attitude is going to lead us just to miss God, miss the heart of God. But when Moses takes a humble posture being in the presence of God, he not only hears God's heart for God's people, but for the first time, Moses gets to hear what God's heart and plans for Moses are. So we read in Exodus chapter 7, or Exodus 3 verse 7, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now, I'm not sure if Moses, during his 40 years in the desert, began assuming things about God that were not true, namely, gosh, I've been here for 40 years. God must have forgotten. God must clearly not care about me or care about his people. But one thing that God makes crystal clear for Moses in this moment is, Moses, I want you to know I care deeply about my people. I care deeply. I see them. I have heard them. I am aware, and I will act. And I've just noticed in my life how easy it is to assume that as time goes on, and I'm not seeing something happen, that maybe God just stopped caring. Maybe God's forgotten. Maybe God doesn't really care about this relationship that I've been in or this work situation or a financial situation that I've been in. Maybe He just doesn't care. One of the things that I do know, I don't always understand the timing of God, but one thing that we can never be confused about is the heart of God. I don't know why God takes longer than maybe we would want, but we never have to be confused about the heart of God because the heart of God is He cares deeply about His people. That is to say, He cares deeply about you. And so I think the question for us is, well, how does a personal and relational God communicate His heart? He cares so deeply about people. He's relational, He's personal, He's holy. How does this God communicate His heart for people? Well, very simply, through people, through you. You want to know how God does that? He does it through people. He does it through each of us. I'm guessing Moses' curiosity right now is at an all-time high. He's hearing God tell him, I'm going to act. I'm going to respond. I'm going to lead my people from 400 years of bondage, harsh slavery. I'm going to lead them into a land that they've never known before, the promised land. You have to be thinking Moses is like, this is great. How are you going to do it? God, what's your plan for doing this? I don't think Moses was ready for what God said next. Verse 10, now go, I'm sending you. Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. I can't fathom what flashed through Moses' mind when he heard this, but one thing that's probably safe to assume is 
he remembers the last time he was in Egypt and tried to help the people of God, he was ultimately rejected by the people of God. And I don't know if you can relate with Moses here, but in this moment, this is was Moses' response to God. Right after hearing God say, Moses, I'm sending you, this is Moses' response. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? How amazing is it that Moses, how quickly he goes from fearing God to fighting God? It just happens so quickly. One moment, I can't even cast my eyes upon God, but now let's fight. I'm going to protest you. I'm going to protest your plan. How quickly do we often do the same thing? I have this awe and wonder of who God is and what God is like and what God has done and what God is inviting us to be part of. We have this awe and wonder to now arguing with God of, well, I don't like that plan. That doesn't make sense, and I, I can't do that. Moses' response may appear, at first glance, pretty humble in nature. God, who am I to go do such a thing as this? But his response reveals what often happens to many, if not all of us, that we make it about us. What happens is that God revealed what he had for Moses, what he was going to do, and without even thinking twice about it, Moses, and we can do the same thing. We place ourselves at the center of his plan, and we begin to wonder, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to actually make this happen? So I'm really thankful for God's gracious response to Moses because it's a response that I've heard many times, and I hope that you've heard many times. It says in Exodus 3.12, right after Moses argues with God, protests God, God says this, I will be with you. See, I love that God doesn't try to give Moses a pep talk here of, Moses, man, you're the man. Moses, you are a great choice. You are so strong. And Moses, you've got so much skill and talent and ability. Rather, he reminds Moses of what will be the difference maker. And the difference maker is he will not be alone. See, popular in today's Christian culture is this concept of positive self-talk. We just need to have positive self-talk in our lives, and we need to talk to ourselves, no, I can do it. I've got the skills and the talent and the ability, and I'm strong enough, and I'm gifted enough to do these things. And I really don't mean to hurt your feelings or offend anyone here, but you might have a lot of skill and a talent, but you will never be the difference maker, ever. The difference maker is this, the presence of God will always be the difference maker. It will be not you, but the presence of God in your life that will make a difference. And that's what God was trying to remind Moses of. So if you knew that God would be with you in all that he was calling you to do, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the personal, relational, holy God was going to be with you in all that he called you to do, would that be enough to move you forward and just simply say to God, God, I'm all in. If you promise that you are with me, I'm all in. I'll go wherever, I'll do whatever, I'll give whatever. God, if you promise that you are with me, I'm all in. I'm not sure how you'd answer that question, but we know from Moses' response 
even the promise of God's presence was still not enough for Moses because he continues to fight with God. Verse 13, but Moses protested second time. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? It's Moses' first protest was centered around this idea, I don't think I can do this. His second protest seems to be centered around this idea that, and by the way, no one else will think that I can do this as well. Again, the problem for Moses here is that he is still planting himself at the center of this story. He's still making it about him. But as we've already seen, God is going to be gracious to Moses in this moment and do what he has never done for any one up to this point in human history. He's going to reveal his personal name. And what we learn about what God does for Moses is, it's a reminder, it is not about your name. It's about his name. This is what he says to Moses in verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, uh, what does that mean? I'm pretty confident Moses was having that same thought of, you want me to go back to Egypt, to the people of Israel, and tell them that a bush was on fire, I heard my name being called, and it was God, and God is sending me back, and the name of God is I am. God, what does this possibly mean? In the Bible, a person's name often conveys a great deal about that person, meaning their name is often inseparable from his or her function or nature or calling. And that could not be any more true when it comes to God's personal name. God reveals his personal name as I am, which is best translated as Yahweh. If you were to look at the Hebrew usage or Hebrew use of the name I am, it really means it's a verb that says I be. I be who I be. And I know that's terrible English grammar, but that's what God is saying. I am who I am. So what does I am or Yahweh mean? What God is telling Moses in this moment is he is the God who has absolutely no beginning and is a God who has no end. He is the God who is self-determined and God who is self-sufficient. He is the God who is ever-present and he is the God who never changes. I am or Yahweh means that God is not defined by what we think of him. So whatever your ideas of who God is and what God is like, that doesn't shape who God is and what God is like. He alone determines who he is. I love the gift that God gives to Moses in this moment because he's trying to help him. In the Psalms, Psalm chapter 9, there's a tremendous reminder from the psalmist. And he says this, and those who know your name Put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What God is trying to do for Moses in revealing his name, I am Yahweh, is he's trying to help Moses say, Moses, you can trust me. You can trust who I am. You can trust, Moses, what I'm inviting you to be part of. God revealed his personal name to Moses so that Moses could trust in God for all that God was entrusting to Moses. See, the same God 
who revealed his name to Moses is the same God who has revealed more than just his name to each of us. See, the same God who encountered Moses is the same God who encountered us in Jesus. When Jesus was being questioned by the religious authorities, who are you? Who do you think you are? This was Jesus' response to the religious authorities on who he is. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. In this moment, Jesus made as crystal clear as possible, do you want to know who I am? I am Yahweh. I am God incarnate. I am God in flesh. So unlike Moses, you and I, we don't need a burning bush to hear our voice calling out, go do this, go do this. Because the one who claimed to be I am being Jesus has already made clear to you and to me, to us, to this church, what our mission is, what we are to give ourselves to with the promise that he will be with us as we walk out his mission. One of the final things that Jesus said is Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. Same language that he used with Moses. Moses, go. I am sending you. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And then listen to the promise. The exact same promise Moses got is the same promise we have. Be sure of this. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. There is never a moment in time where he would not be with you. The great I am promised Moses he'd be with him in the same way Jesus, the great I am, God in flesh, promised that he'd be with us as we live out and walk out the mission he's given to help all people walk with God. You don't have to leave here with any confusion as to what God has for you. He wants to use you to help all people walk with God. He has strategically placed you in places of work, in places where you live in your neighborhood, in the schools. You, he has strategically placed you there so that you can help the men and women in your life who do not know God. Begin a relationship with a God who is personal and relational and holy. We don't need a burning bush. Jesus made clear this is what we are to give our lives to. 